Hello and welcome to episode 198 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer. And I'm Lucinda Rhodes Thakra, owner of Picture Perfect and I am an independent film producer. And today we are talking to the fantastic Kim and Amy Datnow. Not only have they made their feature film Daddy Issues, but they did so many jobs while they made this movie. Amy was the writer. She worked in the art department. She did costumes and she produced the movie. Whereas Kim, she was the lead actress and she also produced the movie as well as doing many, many other jobs while making this movie Daddy Issues, which is out now and has an amazing release strategy. And um, what else did you learn from Amy and Kim? And what can the audience learn from this Lucinda? Well, two very interesting points, actually. Um, they spoke about how the sound effects made such a difference to a movie and also very interesting on how they raised the finance for this. Yes, absolutely. I think that's going to be amazing for our listeners to hear, for you wonderful people to hear. Um, they also talk about how they got their private investment, how each project is a mini business, how they did the pitch decks and uh, dealing with contracts and sales agents. It is a really cool episode. The girls are so much fun. We had issues with sound. The sound makes such a difference to a movie. It does. So, but we personally had issues with Zoom. So we tried to go on Zoom at first and then we went on Squadcast. That messed up we went back to Zoom. So bear with us if the sound is a little bit all over the place, but it's still a wonderful episode and you will learn loads from this. Myself and Lucinda do sit down and have a wonderful chat with them. But Lucinda, you have just wrapped your movie, Confession, literally a couple of weeks ago. We have. Congratulations. Thank, thank you very much. How kind of you get. It was... Um, Pleasure. Obviously, we shot Confession during the second lockdown. And you can imagine we're yeah. a week away from shooting and Saturday there's an announcement from uh, Boris Johnson to say we're going into second lockdown. So on the Saturday night, I had numerous emails from all different departments. Are we still mm -hmm. going ahead? Well, of course we are. We're still going ahead. Yeah. Um, we lost our accommodation. We lost some of our locations. It, oh. Everything kind of went... <laughs> like to shit so do you think it's because people freaked out because of the covid thing and because of they were like oh i'm gonna stay in my house now i'm gonna with the locations and etc they just decided not to open the doors so the accommodation that we had booked um just said no we're not opening during the lockdown so that was right. that so i had to go and find somebody to house 30 people if you like 25 to 30 oh my people gosh. and literally a couple of nights before and right. I had people coming from all over the country, from Wales, from London, from up north, everywhere. Yeah. So they were worried because obviously they wanted to continue. Um, nobody wanted to uh, pull out of the gig at all. Everybody wanted to continue. We had very strict COVID guidelines in place. And we had a documentation of like 10 pages. Everything was mm -hmm. in place. So there was no reason not to continue. But there was extra stress obviously added for myself and Jeet Thakra, the other producer, and, and obviously the director. But it went, it went very successfully. I, I sighed a huge relief when we wrapped to go, <laughs> oh my God, we kept everybody safe. Because apart from yes. making a film, which is already very, very stressful and difficult, you have mm. everything on top, all those layers on top. Did it make it slower for you? Did it make things run a bit slower on set? 
And once things had got moving, was it similar to normal? Well, we were all bubbling together, obviously, in the accommodation. And we had bubbled all the different departments. So the camera team didn't really need to step into the space of the production design team. The production design team didn't really need to step into the space of makeup and costume. The script supervisor was separate from the director who was in his own little cubbyhole in the church because we shot um, mainly the bulk of the movie in in a church, which is very big and Mm. spaced out. A bit like Caerphilly Castle, which we shot Arthur and Merlin. Which is out now, everyone, and you can watch it. (laughs) (laughs) On what platforms, Giles? Uh, Many platforms, Sky Movies. It's actually, speaking of which, it's just come out in America. I only found out via tweet. Did you see that? I haven't seen that. There you go. Arthur and Merlin. It's out now in America and Canada. There you go. Oh, brilliant. got released. There you go, woohoo! Woo. <laughs> so you can watch it there as well now if you fancy on me and Lucinda running around uh, fields uh, in swords and sandals. We were wearing sword and sandals and <laughs> we were running around fields. Oh, well, we no. were. Let's bring it back to be sensible now, Giles. I, Please, I know it's yes. it's not a skill we have, but let's try and continue nope. for our good listeners. But it, yes, yes, for our listeners who think that this is a, an intelligent, informative podcast. And professional. Please. So Please. we're in a big space. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, that are listening. It's, I'm very sorry about this, but we're in a big space. So we were able to keep a, a distance at all, the, all times and everybody yeah. wore a mask apart from at mealtimes. Um, mm-hmm. And everybody sat in their departments at all the different um, set tables in our dining room space. So, it, yeah, it, it worked out fine in the end. And how did you find Stranger in Our Bed? Yeah, it's the same. I mean, we would we all got tested on the first day when we all arrived on set. So that it, it was great that we did that. And thankfully, no one was positive. Everyone got negative, which means they were positive. It's a weird thing isn't it it's a double positive double negative thing where you're actually negative but that means it's positive so anyway um and that was really great that no one had it uh which meant we could carry on with our day but it meant that on that first day i'd lost an hour we couldn't move anything in all that kind of stuff and when you're on a tight schedule anyway and you're kind of moving from one room to the next in this big manor house we were at at first it can slow you down but it was great it was it was you know it was kind of like being on a normal set but you just had to communicate much more with your eyes you had to communicate much louder with your voice you had to be very clear and people were very respectful of other people you know and that was really lovely to see people would like you say everyone was in their own little groups and we all stayed in the bubble in the manor house and you know uh, the same thing at meal times people just stayed to themselves and uh, took the mask off to eat but the rest of the time everyone had masks on the only people that didn't were the actors uh, and me on occasions later on when we were all clear after the 14 days so it's uh I found it, in the end, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I thought first thought when we're going to be in COVID and we're going to be trying to make a movie like this, I thought, oh God, this is going to be really difficult. And actually, it's very doable. It's very doable. How did you find, uh, interesting, because we had a big conversation before we started about monitors. Yes. Because people yeah. like to huddle around uh, Video Village. So yeah. we had as many monitors as we could and we brought TVs from the house and all sorts, like after oh, a few days, you? because there was too many people around the monitor. So we, mm-hmm. we just said, look, let's let's take as much as we can. And um, there was something set up on, I didn't get it in the production office because I was too far away, but people had set up um, links on their phones so they could watch it on their phones. Right. Um, I think that was our, our, our sound department had set that up. Um, 
and they that's gave everybody really a code. Yeah, so ah, that was interesting. That's a really good way of doing it. No, we didn't do that. We had one big main monitor, which was you were only allowed near that at certain times, and you know the art department would come in and look first. I had my own monitor, um, but like big, I say, after that, well, of course, yeah, uh, I'm big time. But after f you know the 14 days, and no one has it, it changes things. It does change the situation. But everyone again was very respectful of that and stayed away, and uh, only people were allowed to see who were allowed to see at certain times. And that was very well managed and very well organised. But to be honest, I, I found the whole thing really incredible. You know, making a film right now, both of us, the fact that we've done that, you with Confession, me with The Stranger in Our Bed, is is an incredible feat. And to be honest, I find I found myself ridiculously grateful that mm. we've actually managed to do that and we've created work for people not me necessarily but you certainly with with yours and i think i think we should you should be commended for that and i think my team of terry dwyer and dean fisher should be commended for that mm. because i think getting anyone work at this stage and like i say i'm i feel humbled and massively grateful to be working as a director right now and now i'm going to post in the edit and i'll still be working and as much as it's amazing i'm making a movie i also feel it's a weird feeling because we're talking on this podcast about making films and we're luckily enough to make films and so many people out there aren't and they're going to struggle because of covid and how difficult it is and i don't know there was something about that hit me after we wrapped on literally two days ago and I had this amazing elation and this amazing feeling the next morning when I woke up of I felt really great. But then something else hit me, which was, oh my God, how lucky am I? How grateful should I be for this? And yeah, massively. I honestly feel like, wow, how lucky am I to be doing this? I don't know if you felt that way. And I know you create your own work, can't I do, but it, it, you've done amazingly well. Interesting to obviously hear what you've said about it. I think because I, it was so much on my brain the whole time and I was so aware of keeping everybody safe... Mm -hmm. that at the end I just went, oh my God, thank God. And that was it. It wasn't, it was just, I was, it was a relief that everybody was, was healthy. Yes. Um, but, but hearing what you've said about it's what an achievement it is. I, I, I suppose I hadn't had time to reflect on that. I am a little bit more now that the, the dust has settled and we've all rested and things. Mm. Um, I suppose what I am thinking about since hearing um, the latest uh, announcement obviously prior to Christmas about numbers rising is how will we survive next year keeping everybody safe and mm -hmm. are the guidelines going to be stricter? I mm. know that they've extended the restart scheme. Yeah, which, which is, is incredible. Great. Yeah. And insurance schemes is, is great. You know, there's uh, 500 billion has been uh, pumped in. It was 500 billion, wasn't it? Uh, and that's incredible for insurance, for filming. Mm. So, and as soon as I get more news next week, I'll fill you guys in. If I know anything more, if I hear anything, I'll definitely let everyone know. Yeah, so I don't know how it's going to be next year because we've both got projects that hopefully are going early next year and we want to make sure that we can do them safely and in the right way and make sure everyone is safe. Um, There's so, also yeah. a big contingency that executives now have to, well, producers and executives have to, discuss constantly about having that um covid budget line mm -hmm. yeah it's got um, to be in there it, now it has to and be if, if even though you know some of us make uh, low independent low independent features and execs and producers are trying to keep it to a certain figure you know to be able to make returns for everybody um executives and financiers are going to have to think about finding the extra or just working it that that 
we can keep on top of that and it's really important and I think that could affect production I don't know it, it depends on the type of movie you're making whether you're swashbuckling in, in a forest or whether you're two people working in a big space in a church it, 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 I think it really depends on that I totally agree um, I think it's going to be really interesting what's going to happen um, how much do you reckon percentage wise uh, you should uh, prepare or producers should prepare to put in the budget for COVID? That's something we're still discussing actually moving forward. Um, ours was three to five percent of confession, I think, mm -hmm. off the top of my head, but it depends on the size of the crew as well. It does. I mean, if you've got 100, 200 people, then yeah. that percentage is going up. And it depends on what the budget of the film is, how many people you've got. So it's not just like uh, a sweeping statement of, oh, it's 10% or 25% of the budget, which I have heard people say, mm -hmm. but logically it's, or logically for or, or what I believe, it's the size of the crew, the size of the team and, and the budget level. Yes. And it's, um, well, it's around a hundred pounds a person per test. Mm. So that means if you've got 30 crew, well, the, you know, there's already three grand uh, a week that goes so yeah it could go up to 10 grand but maybe more because you've got extra areas to do or extra monitors to hire extra cables which means you might need an extra person which is then another extra test so everything will add up so i think if you look between five and ten percent for sure at the moment and then as soon as new laws come in and what we know then at least you're prepared and your budget is aware and your investors are aware of this is going to cost more right uh, otherwise we're cutting corners elsewhere and it's so hard to make independent films on the budgets we're making them for anyway uh you've always got to, to let the investors know at this stage i think giles did you have a tom cruise moment at all uh no i didn't i didn't have a tom cruise moment um but yeah that would have been interesting wouldn't it first day you guys <laughs> i'm saving the industry you guys it's me brilliant fair play to him though i mean fair play he's putting money into that i do get it i do get it it's maybe a bit too far but i do get what he was saying it's his production company he's put he actually didn't he pay like half a mil for all the crew to be uh living together in a in a hotel so he paid Something for that like out of his that. own pocket so i don't know yeah i didn't have a tom cruise moment did you no 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 did i may have to? got across a couple of times and Ooh, said did you? guys oh, okay. can you just stay further apart but mm -hmm. that's just because as uh, you know as the producer of the film um i was trying to keep everybody safe yeah yeah absolutely. so if you see somebody step slightly forward or you start going you know having a freak mm -hmm. out and i was yeah. constantly i'm constantly the hand sanitizer as well oh, yeah. always but yeah. And some people, they wash their hands and they don't sanitise after and then, but they have their own personal rules as well. Uh, we are, next week, everyone, we are doing a very special Christmas uh, type quiz, get together, talk about filmmaking, talk about a year in COVID and film with pretty much all the hosts who have hosted co-hosted with you and with me this year so uh it's gonna be myself dom i think phil hawkins is coming dan richardson christian james lucinda i think matt and tori if they can get a mic together uh in sharp. sharp uh i think uh, there's others there yeah, andy roger obviously so yeah i think that's going to be a great laugh so do join us next week for that for our 199th episode and the week after is our 200th episode january the 5th do join us we have recorded already with our a very special guest of which I'm going to tell you who it is next week 
So uh, I know I'm cruel and mean, but that means they might listen next week. So <laughs> to us lot rambling on with <laughs> Xmas special. So do join us next week for that. But for now, uh, myself and Lucinda are joined by Kim and Amy Datnow for the fantastic chat with the girls about their feature film, Daddy Issues. Do enjoy. Internet service is a lot like my father. It doesn't do what it promises and then dies. (coughs) What? What are you doing here? You're living in your dead boss's old house, pretending that you're going to renovate the deck. I'm going to renovate the deck. So you're like a dad, kind of. Not a dad, just dating a mom. You have kids? And she has a uh, child, baby child. Your dad is important to me. I never get to prove myself to him now. That makes you feel any better. My dad doesn't even talk to me. I'm a lesbian. I'm not in a hurry for the physical component. Want to watch that Harry Potter marathon on FX? I haven't been funny since he died. You're always I've stopped chasing the approval of guys that I don't think are right for me. They smell just like him. Those are actually my clothes. So good to see you. Yeah, yeah, so good to see you too. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. So look, obviously, we're here to chat about everything you girls are doing which is incredible and daddy issues is such a cool film it's really interesting and really well made and you you, i I love how you just sort of you know it seems like you just went out there and did it you were like and this is what this podcast is all about is people like yourselves just going out there and doing it and it's what i try and inspire on this podcast so what was what how did you start why did you go set out on this journey Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um, We were living apart from each other and then our our father sadly passed away and um, we'd Mm -hmm. talk about how it kind of um, affected our dating lives and kind of joke about the relationship you have with your dad and how does it affect modern dating? How does it affect you in relationships? Um, And we were interested to make a film about that subject. Yeah, like Amy, Amy would always call me up and I'd always call her up and um, we'd always talk about dating mishaps, you know, with like modern, um, all the apps and things. And um, I remember calling her up once and um, telling her about this guy I met at uni and then she was like, what's his name? And I looked through my phone and it was like, the guy I walked up the hill with Dan, you know, so it's like, <laughs> you know, all that kind of modern day millennial um, <laughs> kind of Life, swipe, basically. swipe culture as yeah. modern day. Swipe culture. <laughs> I, it's so funny. I'm not involved in that and neither is Lucinda. It's like we just no. missed missed the boat on it totally. We, yeah, well, it skipped, uh, because we're both married, it skipped our kind of dating generation, didn't it? I still hear stories from my girlfriends and the dating scene sounds like horrifically um, difficult compared to maybe when we were younger, going off subject a little bit, but it's it's all part of, of the movie isn't it yeah yeah for sure so amy you were living in israel at the time was that writing screenplays or uh, were you a journalist yeah i was actually working as a journalist which was super interesting um and i was reporting on like the local tech startup scene 
Um, it's really, really great time. I loved it there. Yeah, I've, I've been there a few times. I've been on holiday many times. It's an amazing place to visit and it's so not what people think. Yeah. And it's just so creative and fun. And I think uh, per capita, I think it's 50% people are vegan there as well, which to me is like, yeah, it's music to my ears. And you can, there's just so much going on creatively. And I think that was really interesting. Was that, were you always creating stuff there as well? Were you always thinking, okay, that I want to make something? Well, it's such an inspiring place because everybody's doing, the majority of people are doing startups. If you go to a bar, it's like you meet someone and everyone's in a, in a startup. So it's like, so creative and really creative and invigorating i found it i was in los angeles actually at the time and i remember i mean i was having a much different life to amy like living the like almost high life in la like go i remember going to this party of this guy that had just won an oscar so he had <laughs> he had got a bit of money but so he had bought a place in the hollywood hills and I remember just going into the house and it was this huge like industry party with loads of celebs there. And he had no furniture in the house, but just his Oscar on his mantelpiece. Amazing. I went down to his room where he composes all the music and it was like, you know, that, that feeling where you're like, I've arrived in Hollywood. It was mm -hmm. Well, what made you go over there in the first place because obviously you you know you got your stand up you're doing your comedy and you're doing lovely bits of acting here and there what was your reason to, to go over in the first place i had work out there um i was doing some acting work um on a few on a few tv shows and um then i sort of uh, was in other people's projects which i absolutely loved um and i was in some really really great um tv shows like quite big ones and then i got involved in the indie film world um and helped out on set with a couple of friends productions um and just absolutely loved the production element of it and actually being able to tell stories that i was really passionate about um and collaborate with people that were similar um so i i've always been quite entrepreneurial so um to me that appealed more than working on massive sets and so I just kept going and just kept um, working on on, on other people's films as a producer. And then um, when Amy and I realized that we both had really similar creative interests, we decided to set up our own production company. And um, that's basically how this film started. And this is your first, isn't it? Your first, sorry, Giles, it's your first it's right. feature together, Our isn't first it? Feature together, first together, yes, feature. yeah. And apparently we're the only sister production company in the UK, so apparently there's lots of brothers, but no sister production. It's quite good. Yeah. It's good working with your sister, you know, like you might, you might think that you, um, you know, we still have those like kind of roles of what, when we were younger, like, like I played mm -hmm. the older sister role and Amy's like the younger sister. But, you know, the good thing is, is that we, we do get on very well. And, 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 and in terms of creative decisions, we never disagree on those. So um even though you know we <laughs> we sometimes do disagree we always come we always come round to whatever in the end so um it's really really nice working with with family i think i think more people should do it i can't believe we're the only system i agree with you i, I mean yeah. i i work with my husband right. and it, and it's it's a dream mm -hmm. it's fantastic yeah, yeah, it's so important. Yeah, there is the Shakespeare sisters. They they made a film called uh, Soundtrack to Sixteen recently, which uh, so they're they're another amazing you know uh, sister couple. But yeah, it's so I I just think it's great that anyone can do that. You've got the opportunity to make something with someone else who's very close to you, and you you know everything about them, right? I mean, I've never worked. My sister's she's a graphic designer, so she wouldn't 
do that. So I think it's fascinating where you you know all the fo- foibles, you know when they're in a mood or saying something that they don't mean or whether because you can preempt that. You're like, well, when we were four, <laughs> yeah, exactly. some, do you know what I mean? I know yeah. that face. <laughs> I've seen yeah, it exactly. many, many times. We were able to um, juggle roles on set and I know Amy so well and she's such a great writer and I'm more of a producer organiser. Um, so on set, you know, I was um, juggling two jobs and, and, um, and Amy was Amy was also on screen for like a tiny scene and made it look really easy. So, <laughs> I, so I mean, how annoying! How annoying! <laughs> she's obviously a natural, um, but yeah, you know. So it was um, it was nice to to be able to rely on her in that way and almost a dream come true to just yeah, like like you said, work with work with family. Obviously, this came from. Uh, truth as well and uh, and and your lives was it kind of like let's just do something based on what we know based on what we're doing at the time because you could have gone anywhere with any story you could have said right let's sit in a spaceship and let's do it this way what was the reason to to sort of go kind of truthful with it and trying to something quite honest and use your stand-up and use uh you know what you know and your your, your father's the situation I, how come you wanted to do that well, it saved us years on therapy bills. <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> no, well, and yeah, I totally agree with that. And also, well, our because fa- our father had just passed away in real life, so that was a, mm. a springboard for the film. And it's something that we thought a lot of people could relate to. And we like we always make films for the millennial generation, and the ones that we're coming that are coming up are all, always female driven films for the millennial generation. So um, we thought it was really important to tell a, a story um, that um, about children that are, mo- that are moving home, um, you know, because they can't afford the rent um, and, and, you know, parents may be regretting how they bring their children up, um, you know, because in general, there's no sort of support or training um, of how, of how to, to do that or to kind of live as an adult. So I think this film like brings together both sides of, of that coin and it's like um what your parents leave you with when you when they pass away which um and what effect that has on your life in covid times it's just like a really happy uplifting film which we wanted to make just to make you know so people can laugh um at them at themselves perhaps they relate to it and um just you know escape for a little while all the craziness that's happening at the moment yeah <laughs> henry was a very relatable character because she had all the flaws that a lot of of um women of uh, our age do actually especially being single um and i thought she was you played her really lovely just talking about casting because i was wondering a lot of you had some very nice characters involved there and you really seemed like real friends uni, uni friends mm-hmm. did you how did you go about with the casting process? Did you have a casting director or did you do it yourself? We did it ourselves. Um, we got a lot of people from, do you know UCB? It's a comedy comedy theatre that was it Amy Poehler? Amy Poehler set, yeah. set up. So a lot of people were comedy actors from, mm. from that theatre um, because we love the style that that comes across on screen. It's quite organic and um, we let them ad lib a lot. And um, we did a table read before um, which we let everyone kind of go off and just p- have fun with it and play their characters. So I think that created a, a kind of 
really good feeling in on screen eventually yeah i think also we let the we did sort of four takes and then we did like the kind of um see what happens take and the and the director just sort of um allowed the actors to go off script a bit so sometimes you know in the edit those are the best takes because everyone was a lot looser and i think definitely with comedy um you need to have a good ensemble cast and a really good dynamic so we really um so we really tried to bring it to life in that way as well. And it really gets to the heart of your character. And I, I really enjoyed it a lot. What was, um, was there any films that you liked that were similar? Was there any, or, or films growing up that, that inspired you to sort of go, uh, and then later on you realised you were wanting to put that into Daddy Issues? Well, like most 90s kids, we were obsessed with all the rom-coms growing up, like, um, and 2000s, like Mean Girls, and we actually referenced a lot of them in the film with the set design. Mm-hmm. So we had like the Boy Box, which was a reference to the Mean Girls burn book. Um, and we just are obsessed with 90s and 2000s rom-coms because they're such a vibe. They're such a look, aren't they? Yeah, we even, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there was, so yeah, those were some of the references. And also um, we used, um, because we were influenced by family events and our father, we also managed to use our dad's, like some of his clothes. So in one wow. of we've got his jumper. Yeah. <laughs> we tried to make it as personal as possible. So we used his jumper. We used pictures of us as kids. Because Amy, you were the costume designer as well, weren't you? Because yeah. you had lots of, I mean, it's amazing because you both had so many different hats. Obviously, Kimberly, you were the leads and you were producing and also part of the script. And Amy, obviously, writing costume. Yeah, art department as well. I mean, everything. Was that something you set out? to do you like or was it just necessity i love you know art direction but it was necessity because when you're making a a smaller a smaller size production you have to like go and put a lot of different hats on um but i think we pulled it off all right (laughs) you did you did it was great i mean it really does prove that you can you can do it and juggle a lot of different um a lot of different hats um but i think we also kind of sat down and had meetings with the director about sort of the color palette of the film and um you know we we had a lot of um we had a lot of references a lot of references yeah like um from lena dunham's work um, I don't know if you know Francis Ha, the Mumblecore movie. Yeah, Francis Ha is great. Yeah, such a good film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we sourced and we sourced a lot from like Topshop and things. And luckily, they had just opened up in LA, so we were able to like get um, what we loved there um, when we were there and didn't have to bring it all over. So that saved some some yeah that would have saved a bit and then you can take them back at the end keep some of the tags on and then maybe you can take them. that's terrible giles it's terrible things to say it's filmmaking right (laughs) (laughs) you gotta do whatever you can to to you know keep money in if you want you could spend that on a facebook ad or whatever for for the film yeah there were certain um little things that we did um that did save us money but we actually also had a really good um art art director who who made all the props on the set and made a bottle of wine that had the director's name on it that we used yeah Um, that's cool (laughs) my really subtle things that you know when we watch it we're like oh a little little joke to us personal that's nice and it was laura laura holiday was your director how did you get her involved but she's american right so did you bring her in from when you were over in la how did you meet we basically um met her through um just through people that we knew um in ucb 
and um, we, we were just interviewing quite a number of people and she just had the same love of of of, of our references. Of our comedy that we were really into. Yeah, yeah, and her colour palette and her um, sensibilities were really, really on point with what we wanted to create. So um, it was literally just um, putting words out and... Um, just basically going through the selection process. And did she bring the DP, Douglas Dugar? Is that right? Yes, yeah. He was really great um, because, you know, we um, we had this style in the film of static shots. So I think there was only two shots that we actually um, had on a camera rig. And one of those was when we did the car scene and he actually made a whole camera rig for the car. Wow. <laughs> incredible. Nice. Um, and, but yeah, so that's very much the style of the film. And, um, we saw some of, um, Laura's, um, and his work together on her showreel and it looked really good. So, um, that was, that was why we went with him. Um, and they work really well together, which is really important. I think for a director to be comfortable with the DP. It absolutely is. And if so, if it, you, you bring a director on, if they recommend a DP, it's kind of like, Leah, let's really yeah. take that seriously. I mean, because it's fascinating. Anyone who makes a movie, it's an amazing achievement. It's so hard. You know how difficult it is. You've done it and you, you've brilliantly now got a movie out and it's so cool. Yeah. When you started this process, was there a, did you think it'd be as difficult as it is? Um, <laughs> or did you just kind of just go, look, let's throw everything in and kind of see what happens? It'd be really interesting to see your mindset at the beginning as to how it is now. And would you have done things differently? As a producer, I think I take a more sort of um, business approach to it. Um, and, you know, it's just been it's just been the case of extending some of the timelines because, you know, um, I had this this idea of how long it would take. And then it was just like literally doubling that <laughs> and more but um, mm -hmm. I think it was mainly because we just wanted to work with the best creatives and we didn't want to finish the film until we were um, really really happy with the final product like we wanted to get it perfect and um, so we waited for those uh, for like the colorist and the sound guy um, because we wanted to um, perfect perfect those things and obviously the really good people there is a there is a time wait for them and totally they're on they're working on other things they're busy or they're doing their downtime so you have to ask for favors right exactly like we we found some great people um and recommend on recommendations that um worked at big at big studios um and they would do this as a passion project because um they wanted to work on an independent film that they that they loved and um thought would you know would be would be interesting for them so um so we were lucky to find some amazing amazing people for the post-production um uh -huh. and then i think i think that was what that was the part of it that took a lot longer than i had expected um i think the filming was really efficient we managed to film it in two and a half weeks and um, and everything went really smoothly for that, apart from once when um, we lost a jacket. I don't know, but there's a scene where she's wearing a leopard print jacket. And we yeah, yeah, okay. it in another scene. So we, but so, the jacket didn't exist anymore in the shop. It, got it. it just it just fell off. It was just gone. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. find a leopard print jacket that looked exactly the same from somewhere else. And that was, yeah. And then it just wasn't the same leopard. Isn't it funny though? How we as filmmakers go, oh my God, oh my God, everyone's going to notice this. And so many people probably just didn't even notice. There was something yeah. odd about it, but 
you yeah. don't you kind of if you're okay. falling in love with the characters and the story you kind of go with it right yeah you go with the journey don't you we'd sit in the editing suites you know with like we'd get to live a room and we'd like you know just have sessions in the evening of like and they were the funnest times because um it's it's the most creative you can be apart from you know on set obviously where you make all the choices but actually adding sound effects and um things it's amazing how much those stand-up scenes were brought to life by the sat the laughter that, that mm-hmm. because we literally filmed that on a brick wall and then um really i wondered that okay <laughs> um and then and then we just did it all in post so when they say you can do it all in post <laughs> it's kind of true you actually can. You can do a lot. Um, where did you, where did you do all the posts? Was it in the UK or in LA? We brought it back to the UK to do the post because we were, we were living mainly in the UK, so it was easier for us. Got it. And I think the UK also, you know, um, it's really exciting to be part of the the film industry in the UK. And I think that there's a lot of new, exciting things happening. And we have such a good talent pool for um colorists and and writers and you know i think that's one of the things mm. the uk does best just because we have such good training schemes for um for people so i'm really glad we did bring it back um and that we yeah. did that little bit longer on um on the post did sienna did she cut it from her home was she shoot uh, editing it in her house uh like did you have her own studio or were you in a post-production facility we were actually in her in her house for a bit of it she did have a place that she was working that we went to a bit but in her mm. house it was nice and cozy and we ordered lots of food she's italian so her italian family it's like amazing coffee and yeah it's a good time that's great yeah I, i've edited i think all my movies in people's houses it's just there was a little bit in the studio in bulgaria but most of it's been in ollie's house you know just because why not we've got a place there let's do it this way and it's nice it's nice to go in you know studios sometimes and big setups but it's kind of not as cozy yeah. as going in someone's house because you can just nip down get a coffee order food in yeah i know you can do that in the, the you know the big places but it's it's quite personal isn't it it's a nice way to do it it also cuts your overheads absolutely yeah <laughs> and when you're making a low budget or micro budget movie you have to do whatever you can to 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 make it happen to come in on the budget you've got yes always cutting corners you have to it was really cool because like when we edited the film we did it in sienna's house and like that we kind of thought that's how you're going to watch a film anyway like on your in in your living room because it was straight to asphalt anyway so it was nice to see it like that but then because we used like we didn't go we didn't go to a post house we had like lots of different um, people doing color and sound and everything. So this, the, the actual um, colorist did it in the cinema in this massive office in central London that had mm. loads of like Emmys and Oscars when you walked in the door in this cabinet. But he had this huge lighting board and was was doing it all in the cinema. We wanted to sort of jump back a little bit as well to sort of uh, discuss how it all kind of started and in terms of obviously you came up with the idea how did you set about writing it um amy how was that for you did you do it together in that sense i know amy you're the the, the writer but the ideas together and did you just sit and how did you do that literally were you putting boards up with ideas yeah it was definitely a massive collaborative process and um, we wanted to write uh, only stories that we'd heard that were true stories um, I think I heard once in Sex and City that they only have stories in there that they actually, someone in the writer's room lived. We want wow. to find the same approach. 
Um, and then we, Kimberly was also involved collaboratively with the story and it chopped and changed quite a lot. Um, and Laura was really helpful in developing the areas of, like, that we wanted to develop. Yeah, yeah, my good friend John Cox basically um, wanted to write something after my father had passed away because he thought that um, something should be told on that. So he like, he penned something out, which was really good. And then what was amazing is we, we got loads of um, creative input on it and we managed to come up with um, something that was um, shootable on the budget and also um, very, um, very collaborative in, in what it turned out to be. So what we originally thought it might be was definitely um, very different, having had different creative minds and different input, which is really exciting about filmmaking. It never turns out how you imagine it, but that's part of the excitingness of the process. Mm. Yeah, it never does. And were you doing that across the pond, if you like? You were doing that, you were in LA and you were sending stuff backwards and forwards or were you, you know, with, with, with the director as well? How were you doing that? Well, it was a lot of ping-ponging back and forth. Um, and we did go out to LA quite a bit to kind of think about locations. And when we were writing, we were writing with the locations that we could get. So because, because smaller micro-budget films, you need to really think about writing for the budget. Oh, we found this great location, um, and I can't—I can't remember where it was, but it was a lot of like um, filmmakers there. So um, we—it was one of those places where it's easier to get a permit in LA because it's really hard to shoot in LA because mm -hmm. everyone wants to shoot there. So we managed to find this place, and it was like really uh, everyone was sharing crafty by <laughs> by the end because we were like, okay, guys, like we just need to like do some pickups in this area, and we were just all very like helpful with each other um but um so uh, but yeah so the writing process was worked really well online because we're, we've got the advantage of being able to work collaboratively in that way but um but yeah the actual when we shot it we actually lived in the house that that um that, that she lived in <laughs> yeah wow. so wake up every morning and we wouldn't have to travel very far to go to that <laughs> <laughs> it did a really nice atmosphere on set because a lot of people lived there because it was a massive house. Mm -hmm. and, um, in the evening after we were so tired and we'd just, the director's a really good musician and we'd kind of jam out and like it, it did create a really nice friendship on set. That's like, yeah, I like that. Um, you mentioned that, you know, in terms of knowing what your budget was, did you know from the beginning then what your budget was? Did you have an aim of, even before you finished writing it, of we think we can make it for this much? I think we actually, um, we actually tried to write to budget and we did know, um, we did know how much, how much it would be. Um, and then we had to do another round of uh, funding uh, during post because um, there was a few elements of the film that we weren't like 100% happy with um, but definitely for the shooting script we managed to keep within budget for that which was um, which was sort of due to creative thinking like Dylan doing the camera rig and um, having less yeah moving moving shots and yeah panning and tilting very sparingly and making yeah part of the style of the film yeah and having lots of pizza and making sandwiches for everyone <laughs> <laughs> with regards to the finance so you didn't have um a financial backer or financial partner on this did you did you crowdfund is that 
or, or how did you go about raising the finance? Because we asked, because funny enough, Jars and I are always in talks with financiers and sales agents, and a lot of people say, um, if you want to make a rom-com, you have to have star cast. Now, you girls have done it wonderfully. Um, you know, there's, there's no big names in it, and, and you've still got it off the ground, and it's a great film. So how did you go about getting past that process and people mentioning things like that? I've done film for a while, so um, I, I would go to Berlin, um, Berlin Film Festival and Cannes Film Festival, and um, and just basically go to go to events. Um, there's some really, really, um, really good events to meet people um, in Berlin, especially, and um, just talk to investors, talk to people that are um, private. Uh, private investors and get them on board um, with the excitement of the project and there's always people that want to support young filmmakers and believe in their vision and um, so mainly we had private investment from um, from uh, one guy I think he was a real estate um, entrepreneur um, that was kind of older and just loved the idea of the glamour of filmmaking and uh, was happy to put some money behind it. And, and in return, we gave him tickets to to the to the premiere and would send him updates of um, shots of the sh on shoot and then um, different clips of the film. So we just made all the investors feel really a part of the process, and we invited them to set and. Um, and uh, we, we hope that, that those will be long-standing relationships and um, for the next film, um, which we're developing at the moment, um, we, we're, we're looking forward to going to them with the scripts and, keep, and we're keeping in touch with them with the pitch packets and things um, just, um, just to, to try to get that extra bit of funding because I think that um, we, we, the development funding can be really difficult to get um, but I think that once now we've made this film, it, it's hopefully going to be easier to um, mm. have the track record as a production company. Totally, uh, yeah. And hopefully um, we, can, um, we can go through to, uh, to those investors. But I would agree in certain respects that horror is a better genre if you don't have talent. Um, uh, I think romantic comedies do um, a lot of the time require require talent, and that was one of the things when we were distributing it um, or, and, and talking to Netflix and things. Um, we kind of just missed the bar with that because I think they were keen to see talent in in rom coms, but. Um, at the same time, um, it's a shame that the industry operates like that. Because, mm. Yeah, agree. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it doesn't really allow for um, new talent to come through. And we really wanted to showcase that in this film because um, it, it's actually cooler to be involved with a film where you've got like five or six people that are up and coming. And then in 10 years time, they're really big names. And mm -hmm. they're like, Oh yeah, we made the, we made our film with them. So we had some really great, like um, Corsica Wilson was in a film is a very, it's quite a big indie actress and is quite known in the indie world. And um, she was in, in a world which was um, shot a few years ago. And, um, she she is so talented and um, has a great look and you know I think and and Kimmy um, who did the um, who played the girlfriend of um, Alice she uh, she's now um, a series regular so 
um, quite a number of the actors are really are really coming up. And then we also work with Peter Jason, who's mm-hmm. a Hollywood legend, mm-hmm. uh, who was in Deadwood and Jurassic Park and worked with Meryl Streep and things, and would tell us all these stories about working with Meryl Streep and how good with improvisation she was and, <laughs> and thinking on her feet and things. So it was really cool to, um, to work with those like older actors. And these are kind of experiences that you probably wouldn't get, um, if you had more of a star cast. So, um, I think that's great. I think it's a really good attitude and I think it's inspiring to so many filmmakers listening and that how you start in this industry so hard. It's one of those things where you're banging your head against the wall because they say, well, you need cast or you need money or you're going to be in it and you're directing it. Well, I don't know. And he's constantly up against that wall and it's really difficult until you've made one. And then it's slightly easier, but it's still difficult too. (laughs) It's still difficult. difficult. It's always, you go back to the first stage again. You've, you've finished a movie, but every time you start a new project, you're always starting again. Mm -hmm. Always. It doesn't matter how good they are. Yeah. Always starting again. Um, Yeah. I like, I like to think of each project as like a mini business because I think you're always, you're always sort of starting a business. And I think that's the kind of hat that I like to put on because it feels, um, it feels like you're working towards something, but it's the best kind of business because it's very creative and, and ultimately you have something to show for it at the end, which is timeless. Talk it forever. Totally. You can show your grandkids and they can show their grandkids. Hopefully, you know, like, uh, we're aging and that but that's sort of stuck in time like frozen in time so you know mm. <laughs> you always look young and <laughs> it's true and, and you can look the best you can ever look in a film yeah, as well. but yeah. you, you've been lit well someone's come and done your makeup and hair yeah. you know it's <laughs> look at me i look great yeah. um, when you, you mentioned there but i love the fact that you said it's like everyone's a new mini business i think that's really interesting and great when you were pitching to your investors what did you deliver to them what did you give to them were you just doing it verbally or were you giving them packs and memorandums and information it'd just be really interesting to know so we, we put together quite a concise package of, of of comparable films that have achieved um things and and pitching where it could go and what the storyline was and we we put that together and i think it was quite that was quite an effective way of doing it. Mm. Yeah, I think people like to see a lot of pictures, a lot of visuals because it's it's a visual medium. Um, and I think that um, yeah, the um, it was important for them to see the synopsis. Um, but um, in general, I think they were just really excited about about our enthusiasm for the project because mm-hmm. older they were older investors and you know um, that you know they're used to property, so or like used to I don't know one. One of the guys was ex-army. And um, so, I mean, you know, that world is very different to our world. So I think there is still a romanticism about filmmaking. Um, and to bring them in and get them involved, that's what they wanted. So, yeah. It's very true. Yeah. You're right. And I, I certainly know that's how I got my first movie made was it wasn't necessarily the project. It was my enthusiasm and my passion for it. And I think that's what everyone should do. It, you can have the best pack in the world, the best sizzle reel, whatever it is, the best information memorandum with all your budgets and everything done. But if you're not interesting and they don't want to, you know, they've got to want to work with you for the next mm. however many years and hopefully going on into the future. That's vital. It's so important that you come across well and you're passionate and you care and when it's your story you've written it and you 
it's, it, you can't help but be enthusiastic about it and put that across. So that must have been really interesting. Was it an easy pitch when you were going? Were you literally going, hey, how, how did you even approach that kind of vibe? How did you even meet these people? Obviously, you said in Berlin, but... I really did do like a, um, a push to get people interested before I went to Berlin and sent out the pitch packet um, and, um, and tried to have phone calls before because people are meeting a lot, a lot of other people in Berlin. And, um, mm. and so I think it's important to stand out. Um, and basically so we, we made sure we stood out because most people don't, go actually into the film market themselves as filmmakers and pitch the actual film but we did we just went in there really confidently and people actually appreciated that mm-hmm. we hustled we hustled we you did it hustle yeah <laughs> you've got to it's so important but if you don't hustle no one's going to do it for you and this is what no. filmmakers seem to forget sometimes they go why isn't it happening for me why is it well you've got to hustle you've got to like you say turn up at events turn up at uh, whatever is going on and say hello here's my business card it might not go anywhere that time but I've just had an amazing sort of couple of weeks with someone I'd met 10 years ago and didn't think anything of it. And now suddenly it's, it's changed the courses of what I'm doing right now. And these little things that you've, you just put in the work early and in the long run, these things will pay off, especially if you're making things and you're doing okay. So uh, yeah, I like that. I, I really like that. Um, People appreciate the, the upfront behavior as well. And the enthusiasm mm-hmm. and the, um, the ambition that comes with what, um, filmmakers are about. I just, yeah, because some people are, you know, too polite. Obviously, we must be polite, but to go in and just say, hey, look, we're going to make this movie. This is what we want to do. This is going to be awesome. You need to back it because we're going to make you loads of money and it's going to mm-hmm. win loads of awards or whatever you've got to say to get it across the line. Yeah. People really appreciate that. Do you know, I think there was one time when our sales agent was in, um, was in Cannes and, um, you know, every, um, they, they did a few film, film markets and the ones that are in Europe we tried to go to. And um, I remember once walking in and he was pitching our film and then he was like, oh my God, here you go. Like, here's the actress in the film. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I just, um, I felt like, very um sort of overwhelmed that i was suddenly in this um in this position of actually you know needing to pitch to the distributor um but you know i think ultimately they did buy it um i think it was a turkish distributor um so i think things like that just happy accidents like there's so many of those things that happen yes Um, yeah and then you know in terms of like meeting someone and then 10 years later it works out I think that's so common like you meet a director that's amazing but they're not Mm -hmm. free at that point or you know in LA they say you're always working because everyone's in the industry there and um and uh, you know so you meet so many people that make films and um so it's just really important also I think you know after you've made a film or two films or three films just to also remember the people that are just starting out and to be always be kind and helpful to those people as well because um, there's just so much um there's so much kindness and um giving needed and you know um we were lucky enough to meet some people that were also really helpful to us in um getting the film off the ground so in in terms of just um giving advice um uh rather than money so i'd Mm -hmm. say like whatever you can do to pay it forward is always going to come back round 
Love that. Totally. It's kind of our ethos here on the podcast. Yeah, Giles and I champion that massively. We're always talking about helping new filmmakers. And and actually, we do it quite a lot. Um, Mm. And and it's so nice that you you guys feel the same. Yeah, Yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah, and we're happy. We have an Instagram page uh, at Clean Slate Productions. And if anybody listening wants to reach out and needs tips and things, but we're always more than happy to, um, to talk with people and... Um, and answer any questions. That's amazing. How nice. I love that. Uh, at Clean Slate, Slate, even. I'll put that in the show notes as well. I'll put that link, little link in. And obviously a link to the film as well, which is so cool that people can buy on Amazon now. Um, <laughs> so, so in terms of when you were filming it, did you feel that everything was, you know, this is going well? Did you, you said there was hardly any issues. So hardly any daddy issues. So did you feel that, <laughs> sorry, did you feel that? Oh, very good. Very good uh, so, oh, no, no. Um, <laughs> did you feel that that it was kind of, you know, cause you had a great bunch of actors and it was just, if it, it was wonderful to watch. It was such a joy. I mean, you, I, I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the fact that you could see there was so much passion and care put into it. When you were filming it, did you think, okay, yeah, this is, this is all right. Or did you not know at the time we just like let's get through it day by day well we put so it may have been a two and a half week shoot but we put so much work for months before for it to be perfect so Mm -hmm. that nothing can go wrong when you actually get to the shooting stage but also you have to let the reins go and just say i've put the work in hope for the best and it looked really good we were excited about it but you never know it's it's gonna cut well together you just don't know so the shooting stage i think you just have to let the reins go a little bit yeah, yeah, I think I think we had a couple of really really fun times on set. Like we were saying earlier, with the pizza um, at the at every after every sort of evening, because we lived on the set, we'd have a little bit of a sort of debrief and and just um, kind of a fun time. But then also um, also when we had loads of um, loads of ice cream on set for one of the scenes, <laughs> Peter Jason like um, stayed and was regaling old Hollywood tales of how he worked with Orson Welles and um, how he used to drive his Cadillac for him and buy him food and um, and how Orson Welles throughout the period that he knew him and just put on loads of weight. And <laughs> he famously got very, very overweight. And he, yeah, he, yeah. that was, you know, but um, Peter Jason would go into it and be like, it's because he went to Burger King drive through with his Cadillac and he'd order a hundred burgers and eat them. Like, uh, kind and, of yeah, and he couldn't fit into the Cadillac by the end. <laughs> I've just watched that brilliant. <laughs> brilliant documentary um on his last film one of them that didn't get made and the documentary is incredible um i can't remember the name of it but it's the orson wells documentary it's on netflix right now and it is brilliant it's so fascinating about how his last film didn't get made and well didn't get finished and he shot it for like years and this is awesome wells he couldn't get money he couldn't get it's just really interesting that someone's so big and famous literally got himself so big uh, and then uh, <laughs> sort of anti-famous in the end we're talking about the process um, and nice that we were talking about awesome wells going on to uh, how he didn't actually get his last film um, completed so girls you said that you had a time frame in mind obviously you were waiting for some of the post-production team and the creatives to be able to give you their time. So you waited to get the best you could out of the project. So when you had this time frame to how long it actually took, what was, what was the length of time and, and what was the difference? Um, I think that the post-production went on about six months longer, like which, like, yeah. I think, I think it was mainly because um, 
we we went with a, a post-production house because we had a low budget and um i think that there were certain things that we just wanted um we just wanted changed and because they're such a big factory of films i mean they did some really really great films and we were really excited to work with them but i think that they just didn't have the time and we didn't have the budget to be able to give um what was needed in order to make it the best product it could be so then we needed to think of other avenues and be resourceful as you always need to be with an as an indie filmmaker and figure out ways of um of finding talented people that could that could do that and spend time on it and and it would be those people that um were recommended to us that were working at really big studios that could do it in the evening so we almost acted as, as post um production supervisors and actually um procured them ourselves in the end um but i think if i if we did it again i would definitely um go to independent um post production um talent because uh i think if you're doing it on a low budget it's hard to afford the cost um of of a production house because obviously they have so many overheads that they need mm. Linear. Yeah. Well, I mean, the dare's just four years. It's coming out in October. Four years oh, from okay. when I we, first shot we'll it. Talk about the dare again. Uh, I know. Well. I'm dropping it in. I can't help myself. Lucinda uh, always ribs me about that. Um, <laughs> but that was four years. It took that long. You know, it was a, uh, before we could do pickups. It was a year. So I totally get it when people say, "Oh, it's taken so long." It's like that. It does seem normal. It's a normal length of time. Four years is probably pushing it, but two years. It just seems to be the way. By the time they've actually done the circuits and done the whole you know released in different countries and done the cinema runs and then eventually they're going to come out on dvd somewhere it's a long process so i mean the fact that you've done it this quickly is amazing the fact that it's just kind of you lot pushing it and just going right come on come on come on we need to do that and because you could have at any point gone oh yeah all right well we'll just wait we'll just wait and the fact that you were knocking on the door going no no well let's get this let's get this out was there um so once you'd finished the film, at that point, had you already cut like a, a teaser a reel that you could send to your um, sales rep concourse? Had you, had that already been planned or was that separate? Did, did you have them, when did you bring them on board and when did you sort of push that uh, knowing how to sell the movie side? Well, we actually had a bit of a battle with the, um, for like who wanted to take it on sales agent. Oh, a nice battle! Oh, good. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell us a, a bad battle. Okay, good. Uh, no, no, no. So, bidding war, amazing. Bidding war, yeah. So we had a bidding war, and um, we went with the agent that had done similar films to what what we made. So he did an Aubrey Plaza film um, about nuns, which was kind of that sort of dark comedy that we were that we were trying to hit um, mm -hmm. that's so, bad habits is that bad yeah, habits? i think so yes yeah yeah so so he was so he was a sales agent for that and um and he only had a few um films on his slate and um he's told us he wasn't going to package the film with other films so um you know the the process of finding a sales agent was quite um, rigorous and it actually took a lot of reading through the contract very closely uh, mm. because you know so ultimately we were negotiating terms um, but um, we uh, yeah we went with the with the Los Angeles sales agent rather than the New York sales agent just purely because they had similar content and we thought that
they'd do better for the film than the New York agent that was a bit smaller. Um, but, you know, I think it's interesting when choosing a sales agent because it's such an important part of your profit margin, um, you know, on this kind of film. And the mm-hmm. investors were also keen to know who that would be. And, and that was, a, that was we made a point of keeping them in the loop about, about our choices. Um, but, yeah, the negotiations um, were quite sort of, ruling because that's the money part of it and um mm-hmm. and uh that's the business part of it uh, how did you how did you learn that side of it because it's some pe- people take years and years and years to learn how to deal with the distributor slash sales agent yeah. on making sure you're not getting ripped off and there's a lot of predatory uh, distributors out there and you've got to be very careful so how did you approach that what was your tactic Definitely. We, we kind of um, called in some favours um, from Good. some lawyers um, in the industry that really helped us go through the contracts, which is so important. Amazing. Yeah, well done. Yeah. That was really good. And then also, I think we just, um, yeah, we just literally um, went through went through the contracts and tried to negotiate terms where it was like um, to see if we could see the deals that they did and, and have approval of those deals before they were done. And um, it's a very, it's actually a very opaque um, wor- world when you get into distribution because no one can actually, uh, the producer doesn't necessarily get to keep track of the, um, of the finances. There's been talk of doing the blockchain. Like oh, blockchain. Okay, yes. Blockchain on distribution, which I think would provide a much more transparent um, mm-hmm. system to actually being able to sell um, sell films. But as it stands, you know, you just have to go with someone you trust because um, ultimately you just really need them to show you the figures and to make sure that you're getting the money back that you that that they're, that they're telling you that's coming in. Yeah, you've got. It's just one of those things you just got to be on top of enough to know your stuff. And there's so many tricks and tips, and we'll do a whole podcast on it with Shaked Berenson about you know sales and what to avoid and what not to. But it's just just being aware of it, and like you did, due diligence and speak to a lawyer who understands it and goes, okay. Just don't let them do this. Okay, this is what you need to make sure the sales, the, the cap is no more than 30 or, you know, is it a seven-year contract? Is it a five? All that kind of stuff is really important. Um, and just knowing it and understanding it and going, okay, all right. And, and, and like any business, they're okay to negotiate. People get very scared of going, oh my God, well, they've offered this. We better take it. And it's like, no, you can go in and say, I don't want seven years, I want five. And I don't want you to take 20% when you to take 15 of course you can and it must be nice to have that sort of bidding war as well for you because yeah. then you go right this yeah. is uh, we're going to learn this real quick and yeah. understand it as best as possible it was really fun actually because we were taken out in Cannes for dinner and they were like trying to um, really why they'd be the better sales agent wow and, you know we were wined and dined and we just thought like yeah. this is the last obviously for <laughs> You get excited. Advice I'd give is like hold out and wait and see if you know through the festival circuit you can have get more people that are interested. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. totally. Yeah. yeah, one one thing that is good to hold on to for people listening as well is educational rights. Um, 
educational rights what that can do for you is it means you can take your film into any university and charge the university some money do a screening and then do a Q&A if you don't have those educational rights you have to ask every time but if you own that that's your money and you can do it and it's just part of the tour and you can do it as part of your theatrical tour as you're going around as well um, and also another one as well which I quite like this little trick is to own the, the VHS rights there's quite a few collectors out there who will take your movie on a VHS especially horror and especially sci-fi. So if you've got that kind of a movie, then, hey, make sure you've got those rights. No one wants those rights. They don't want them. So you go, yeah, I'll take them. And then you can sell it every Christmas and just make your own. It's very cheap to do these days. So that's another little tip uh, as a couple. There's loads more coming up. <laughs> um, during this sort of lockdown, everything that's happened, and with the film coming out in lockdown, and I've had a film out in lockdown as well, and it's kind of weird. Is there any new habit that either of you have learned that has been useful to your filmmaking? I think this film is about sort of comedy. Uh, it's it's a comedy, and it's sort of about grief and friendship. So I think that in terms of um, in terms of it coming out through lockdown, I think that that's been something for people to to grab onto because you know in times like this we need to remember. Um, good friends and and have a laugh um but i also think that it's been actually a blessing in disguise in a way coming out through lockdown because um it's meant that a lot more people are at home and have access to viewing it and i have a lot of thoughts about um about what's been happening on netflix and and you know films like big films like trolls that have gone straight to the SVODs rather than um being in the cinema mm -hmm. um and i think that the industry is sped up by by at least five years um you know and become more technologically um savvy and especially netflix has um you know being a tech business just has some some interesting models um and ways of um paying filmmakers on a front, you know, front end deals based on projected views rather than, you know, traditionally it being kind of um, back end depending on, you know, royalty payments. So um, Netflix has really, um, Netflix has really kind of taken everybody by storm. And, and I think the lockdown period's really accentuated that. Um, but our film's available on Amazon and that's another place, Amazon Prime, where, um, you know, it's pretty similar. And I think the statistics for Amazon Prime and Netflix are quite, um, quite even in terms of what people watch. Mm, they are. Yeah. It's not far. People would think, oh, because everyone says it. When do you film on Netflix? And you go, well, it's the last place I want to be, actually. In terms of, of course, it'd be amazing to be on Netflix because everyone goes, oh, I can watch it on Netflix. But actually, you don't get any more money once it's on Netflix. They pay you their certain amount. Wow. And people, they go, well, it's free. It's on Netflix. I'm not really going to buy the DVD now, am I? Whereas if it's on Amazon, people still buy it. People are interested. It's getting great reviews. Uh, people will go and seek it out. But if it's on Netflix, they go, well, it's free. So it's really one of the last places you should go as a filmmaker because mm -hmm. you still you've, you can do airplanes yet, especially with a romantic comedy, whereas I can't do that with the horror. Um, people don't want to see the horrors as much on an airplane, not ones like this anyway. Um, so, yeah, but with romantic comedy, you've got so many places you can take it. You can keep going, you know. Um, so what is, do you know, have you got any more plans next for the movie or are you kind of just doing press and getting it out there and getting the voice out there? Are you planning to do some screenings? Are you planning to do when the lockdown's finished type thing? Well, we've already got our, our next scripts on the go. So we're ready pre-producing that and hoping that when lockdown lifts, we can, we can be shooting that. Um, amazing, amazing. Are you, have, have you written that together? Yes, yeah, we have, yeah. Um, it's more thriller this time. Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Starring yourself again, Kim? Yes, yeah. Um, hopefully. I mean, um, I might take a smaller part this time um, just because um, I want to focus more on the producing element of it. Um, but, and, you know, what's been really fun, actually, in lockdown, it's forced us to think of new ways of... Um, of getting our film out there. And we had the first social distancing premiere actually a couple of weeks ago, um, because it was at the time when only six people could, could um, gather together. And I think now we're back into that time. Yeah. Um, but so what we had was like hand sanitizer and we made our own face masks with quotes from the film on it. And we had Getty images down um, and we had a little screening with um, with six people that were involved in the film, which was amazing. Really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the thriller that you're about to embark on. So it's, it's definitely more gory thriller, um, sexy film about toxic masculinity kind of like The Bachelor meets American Psycho. Wow. Yeah, like brilliant. Like, so, yeah. so it's sort of like um, about female jealousy and then how female, how women like band together, um, but they all end up killing each other. So it's like a kind of, um, a kind of bachelor, yeah, bachelor horror conversion. But it's very, it's very funny. It's, it's written, we're going to have um, Ben Blaine write it, who, who did um, a film called Nina Forever, which was oh, yeah. so talented. And, um, and uh, that film, uh, that film obviously did so well at South by Southwest. I think in terms of um, just having a production company, um, it's important to have like a number of projects on the go, just, you know, because you never know which one's going to get funding. And yes. um, so we are um, very positive about these though, and especially with working with really good people. That's amazing. It's so lovely to hear as well. And I totally agree with you not to just have one project. If you have three, you can spread out your pain and hurt uh, when one project falls down or something yeah. happens you can go it's all right with the other one let's push on that one for a bit and then yeah. the other one might drive up again but if you've yeah. got one it hurts too much man i've been there yeah. oh, it's horrible yeah. <laughs> yeah now i've got about 15 to 20 yeah no there's there's a lot going on it's good you know it's good but sometimes it can like I say there's a lot of projects or there's a lot of things happening it can get overwhelming what's your best way to deal with that issue when it does become uh, so overwhelming how do you change your mindset well I think with any creative process you get to a point where you think this is a bad idea like it's not this isn't working and every single I think that's a good point you have to push through that it's like a difficult point and if you push through you'll you'll come up because every idea comes against those challenges and you just have to keep going Yeah I think we have the f dot dot fill in the blanks k theory where it's like um if you um you know you maybe do something wrong and then, you know, you have the bucket theory, which is like, well, we tried it and it didn't work. So, you know, let's move on and do something else and try that. Because as a creative, you never really know, like, what's going what's gonna to work on screen. I mean, you have a pretty good idea, but um, sometimes it just doesn't. And I think, you know, kill your darlings is like a phrase that you have to adopt a lot of the time. And I think sometimes you can get into your head about things that don't work uh, and maybe we spent loads of money like shooting or, or many scripts that we've developed that just haven't got there with the writer, um, unfortunately. And the ideas are amazing, but just it's important also to know 
when to just to cut the fat, cut, cut yeah. the fat, yeah. and get out. I think that's actually one of the the hallmarks of um, of successful creatives and entrepreneurs is to be able to choose talent and people that you're working with. I think Richard Branson says it where he's like, you know, Virgin would be nothing without the people that I work with. And, um, and I think it's the same in film where if you, the longer you do it, the better ability you have to choose creatives that a you're going to work well with and, and actually be able to work with like you said for that amount of time um and be you know ones that are that are talented but i think first and foremost you, you have to really be able to have that um, magical fusion and connection with somebody um people on the same page and yeah vision. And we work with people again and again all the time because um, when you find people that you work well with, it's like magic. Yeah, so true. It's so important to find the right collaborations and the right teams. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to make a joke there about working with Giles. And I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I felt great to you for not. I'd have taken it. I'd have been like, yeah, yeah. All right, go on. I thought across the board the performances were fantastic. It was really nice to see. Sometimes in an indie, someone gets through the net who's you know you sort of go well they you know they're a friend and we gave them a part whatever but mm-hmm. here it's really nice to see that across the board and it's very believable and really well made and huge congratulations for making this kind of a movie it's really great and i'm so pleased it's doing well and i'm so pleased to have met you too and the fact you you know you're carrying on and making more is amazing and inspiring to so many other filmmakers out there so well done Thank, thank you. you so much well thank yeah. you for having us and um i'm also going to check out um some of some of your um, some of your films which I haven't been able to watch yet. I'd watch the Dare. The Dare's great. The it's Dare. Great. It's not out yet, Lucinda. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I dare you to watch the Dare. We have a little screener though when it's. Of course out. you can. Yeah, yeah. It's out in three weeks. I think two and a half oh my weeks. God. Are you planning? So you'll probably do the. Are you planning to do a social distance premiere? <laughs> when, well, we're now not allowed. Literally, the last thing that came through yeah. was, no, you, you can't. But I was yeah. pushing for it massively. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, Lionsgate distributing as well. So they would have normally done that, but their wow. everyone's being very sort of, we shouldn't do that at the moment, being sensible type thing. What's really cool, actually, is doing a Zoom screener where, um, or, or, a, or an online screener where everyone's watching at the same time and then like coming back on and, doing a Q&A yeah yeah that's actually a few people have done that I've been to a few of those and um it's really really they are really well attended because um there's still minimal pubs open and things and people are still at home so Mm. yeah so yeah so so that's a good um we might do I think we might do that I I it's one of those things yeah as long as people can watch it at the same time but then you're sort of playing it on through Zoom or however, and it's not for, for anyway. I'll work it out. I'll it's not out. as, yeah, you can't hear those laughs or the booze, hopefully not. <laughs> well, in my film, you're allowed booze, it's you know, it's a baddie, you know, <laughs> throwing, tomatoes. <laughs> throwing tomatoes at this, their own screen. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Where can people find you on the socials then? Um, to say hello and like say your company and they can come and knock on your door and ask for help on instagram it's at keen state productions and then we're also on amazon um daddy issues it's the one directed by laura holiday because weirdly there's another one came out almost yeah. the same time called daddy issues i, was like, I know yeah <laughs> well that's a whole nother thing that we could get into but yeah the long and the short is is that um try not to call your film anything that might be a popular title <laughs> um, 
but you know, it's also gone in our favor in certain ways. But um, yeah, so it's available on Amazon. Um, it's available on iTunes. And if you're in America, it's available there. Also in Turkey, um, where else? Uh, Saudi Arabia. Like, yeah, we got good distribution across the world. So That's amazing. We have listeners from all over the world. So absolutely, yeah. wherever you're in the world, search out Daddy Issues. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. The Detnoff Sisters. Just maybe put that in. I'm sure that'll find it. Absolutely. <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much, girls. This has been amazing. So much advice and so much inspiration for people. So thank you. Thank you for having oh, thank us. Thank you. Thanks, ladies. Lucinda, where can we follow you? You can follow me at Lucinda R. Bakra. And you can follow me at Charles Alderson. Or you can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod. Remember, go out there and make your film. You can make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, thank you so much for joining us and listening be inspired by the girls uh, and take care of everyone bye girls bye bye bye, bye. bye. bye.